0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I gotta tell you, one of the wonderful things about being up here while we're singing, one of the things I've enjoyed the most, is being able to look out on a congregation full of people singing praises to God and see people who are different ages, different Backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities—all of those things. See, all of these people stand up and praise God for the fact that He's died for each one of us. What an incredible thing the church is! Uh, God's design is beyond anything a human would come up with, and it is—it is a great, great design. So, if you want to take your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Acts chapter ten, and we're going to be looking again at the life of the apostle Peter. If you haven't been here before, just so you know, I've been doing an introduction to the book of First Peter. And the introduction has taken about six months. <laughs> so, But I've, I've enjoyed going through Peter's life and getting to know him better and getting to realize that Peter is a man of flesh and blood just like us. And he's a man who, in him, we see the grace of God magnified because there is nothing in Peter that makes him so special. And that, I think that's what's amazing about Peter. He's just an ordinary guy who falls and fails but he gets back up, and, and the Lord forgives him, and he goes out, and he tries to please him. And ultimately, God does wonderful things with his life. and It is encouraging to look at, at Peter's life. Um, we will be doing two character studies in this passage. So we have the first character we'll find is named Cornelius. And Cornelius is, by all accounts, a very good man. From the world standard, everybody looking around him, If we even look back in history, we see Cornelius as a good man, as good as men can be. He prays, he gives, he's respected, he's generous, he's kind. But we'll find that even in Cornelius' life, there is something that is missing. Something that he doesn't have that he absolutely needs. Something that will change him from being a good man from our perspective to a righteous man by the God God who will judge all. Listen, that is a very big difference. We have a very different standard of goodness than God does. Because God's standard is perfection. And so we see a Cornelius who is a good man, but he's not a justified man. He's not a righteous man in God's sight. And so we'll see what he's missing. And then secondly, we'll see again Peter. I think it's really neat to see throughout Peter's life this amazing growth and transformation that occurs in his character. Uh, in, In the Gospels, he is either right on... And he just just nails it on the head. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Or he's way, way off. Lord, you're never going to do that. You're never going to go to the cross. I'm not going to let it happen. Or you're never going to wash me. He's way on. He's right on or he's way off. And then we see in his life this immense failure at the Jewish trials of Christ. You see his humility, his shame. And, and the feeling that you get from Peter at that point is that he's done. That, that God can no longer use him. That's, that's how he sees himself. We saw his hesitation as he went back to fishing. We saw him renewed in his devotion as he speaks with Christ. And three times he says, yeah, I love you. I don't love you like I should. don't love you like you deserve, but I do love you. And so God says he's still got a plan for him. And so we see this this renewed devotion as he meets in the upper room with the rest of the apostles and disciples. We see his bravery and his boldness at Pentecost. So now he gets it. Now he's willing to stand up and proclaim to all the Jews. And even though two times he is arrested for preaching the gospel in the temple, each time he stands before the Sanhedrin, the very council that condemned Christ to die, and he says, should we obey God or man? says, I am going to obey God. I don't care what it costs me. So Peter's getting it. But today, it seems as though Peter is put in a very uncomfortable situation. He got over that fear of standing before the Sanhedrin. He got over the fear of him being even killed for the gospel is necessary. But he has some things that God still needs to teach him. And God does that in this passage in Acts chapter 10. And so there's a wonderful character studies here. I hope that it's helpful for us. We're going to get into verse 1. Verse 1 says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Here we have a man, Cornelius, and we find out that he's a centurion. Now, a centurion is one who plays an instrument called the century, and he's part of this, this Italian music band. Not true. <laughs> I wondered how many of you would like, look at me funny when I said that. I, I had to do it, I told Travis, I have this really stupid joke that I'm going to tell this morning. It's not going to go over, and it didn't, but I just felt like I had to say it. So he's not a member of a band, although he is a member of the Italian band, but it's the Italian regiment. And a centurion was a man who was a commander of 100 soldiers. So here's a man who is a very high-ranking official in the Roman army. A centurion is paid six time, 16 times more than your average soldier. So he's not only a man with power, but he's a man of, of wealth, of means. And he's a Roman man. The, the name Cornelius is a Roman name, a Latin name. And, and Caesarea was a place that was named after Caesar. And this is the Roman capital in this province. This is where the, the highest leaders in Rome would live if they were in this area. And so Caesarea is a very Roman place. It's got a very small Jewish population, a very large Gentile population, and here, so here's this man who is a, a Roman from birth. He grows up in the Roman army. He does very well. He's very wealthy, and, and his position is a very a very good position. I mean, he had his Roman citizenship. He he had it all, but then we see something that almost strikes us as odd with a man who is a Roman, not a Jew. He's not one of God's people, right? And, and When Luke describes this man's character, and he does it four times in this chapter, he gets into Cornelius' character, and each time, he's just a good man. I mean, we find that he's a devout or a pious man. He's deeply committed to God. He's deeply committed to his beliefs about God. The opposite of the idea of being devout is apathetic or indifferent. right? So there's a lot of people that they don't really seem to care, but Cornelius, he cares, It says he fears God. And again, this fear isn't like he's he he lives every moment terrified that God's going to stomp on him. This is a reverential fear. It's a very healthy fear. And I'm afraid that we lose some of this fear sometimes because we try and only speak of God's love rather than his grandeur and his glory and his greatness and his holiness. We need to get a full picture of God. And when we get the right picture of God, it will cause us to reverence him, to have a healthy fear of him. And so this is the kind of fear that Cornelius has of God. He led his house well. So not only do find that he feared God, but he feared God with his whole house. Here's a man who's probably got a family. He's got servants. He's got many people in his household. And he's led his household in a way that they all seem to do the same. That's a very good mark of a man's life. Then it goes on and says that he gave a great deal of money to needy people. He gave a great deal of alms. And the people that would be most needy, in his community would have been the Jews. So here's a Gentile that's giving his money to the Jews and giving a great deal of it. Pretty impressive guy. Luke concludes in this section with with letting us know that he prays a lot. He prays always. So we look at his character and we find Cornelius is a very good, good man. Verse number three, he saw in a vision... Evidently about the ninth hour, so three o'clock in the afternoon of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. So here he is praying, and all of a sudden this angel appears to him. And I think, again, this is just his response. Here's a guy who he runs... A hundred men in his command. And when he sees just this one single angel, his response is to fear and to say, What is it, Lord? I mean, he's he's scared here. And and listen, this is these are the angels that surround God and worship him day in and day out all the time. God is an, an awesome, powerful God. And so here we have this angel speaking to him and the angel says something interesting. He says, Thy prayers and thine alms, so the stuff you've, you've done, the good works you've done, and your prayers are come up before a memorial before God. And the idea of it is coming up, is rising up. And it brings to mind some of the Old Testament sacrifices. They would do a sacrifice, and it, was a, it would rise up as a sweet smelling savor to God. It was something that, that, that God was pleased with. Now, the sacrifice itself didn't justify them. It didn't wash away sin. It didn't make them right with God. But it was something that they were doing what God wanted them to do. And so God was pleased with what they were doing. And so he looks at this Roman centurion's life and he says, listen, there's a lot of good things happening here. It's a memorial. It keeps coming up before God. And so God decides to send this angel to him. Verse 5. Here is the message. Now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one uh, Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he declared all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so the angel appears to him, and the angel says, Cornelius, this is what you need to do. You need to take some of your men. You need to send them to Joppa. There's a man named Simon Peter there. He's living in Simon the Tanner's house, houses by the seaside. So go there and and bring him back because he has a very important message to deliver to you. And so what he does is he calls two trustworthy servants, and he sends them on the 50-kilometer journey south towards Caesarea. Verse number 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh into the city. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry. I think it's funny that that Luke records that. He's hungry, right? And this is where he's at. He was praying at noonday. Maybe he forgot his breakfast. Now he's very hungry. And he would have eaten. But while they made ready, so while his host got the food ready, he fell into a trance. And, and I love how Luke is telling a story because he gives the first part of the story and it's like God is already doing this. He's already working in Cornelius' life and he's having Cornelius send men. And as the men are on their journey traveling, Peter, meanwhile in Joppa, Peter is going up and praying and getting hungry and then, and then eventually falling into this, into this trance. It's a wonderful way that, that the story is told, but it's a way that highlights that it is God that's doing all these things. That God is orchestrating this all these events. And that these men are just simply responding to the Lord. Verse number eleven And he saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping thing and things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him Rise, Peter kill and eat but peter said not so lord for i have never eaten anything that is common or unclean this is an incredible vision that peter gets where all of a sudden he sees all of these animals before him every type of animal that you can imagine birds and and reptiles and mammals they're all there and then god tells him to go and kill and eat. When For our 10th anniversary, Tara and I have been married 11 years now. So last year, we had the opportunity to go to New York for three days. And there was one time that we went to, to a restaurant. It was actually the first night we'd been there. And really, the first day was a rough day. I have, if, if you've ever been trying to travel in New York, you know that it can be very hectic, especially for somebody who's never really taken a bus or a train or really done any of his own transportation other than a car. Um, and that's me. And so Tara and I are trying to figure out this thing out. We're here from Chatham. And so we didn't have a wonderful first day. But in the evening, it was like, okay, we're going to fix this. We're going to go out. We're going to have a nice dinner. So we walked around. We, we asked somebody at the front of the, the hotel. And they said, here, there's a, there's a place around here. Um, so we go there. And... And we just looked kind of at the outside. The restaurant looked like a beautiful restaurant, but we looked at the menu, and and, I I couldn't read it. It was all in Italian, right? So it was was all these different, like, Italian dishes. Now, it it probably was going to be an amazing, amazing place. But because I couldn't read it, because it was unfamiliar to me, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to stick with what I know. And so what I ended up doing, uh, you're going to think I'm terrible. And it's, I mean, Tara thought I was terrible, so... (laughs) <laughs> we ended up going back into the hotel, and at the they were supposed to have a restaurant at the hotel, but the seating area was closed. So we sat in the lobby and ate the food because they had the kitchen opened, but the restaurant closed. So we ate our food in the lobby of the restaurant, and it wasn't very good. And Tara was not impressed. Um, and so I think the next few days we made up for it, but. But here, Peter is confronted with something that he's very unfamiliar with. But you got to understand that for Peter, it's not like he's looking at this food and being like, Oh, I've never eaten that before. I don't know what it tastes like. I'm not sure if I'm okay with this. Okay, you got to understand that for Peter, he's had parents that love God and love the law of God and have done their best to raise him to do the same. And so every day they've taught him, Peter, you don't eat pork. Right? Here are the, the clean animals that we can eat. Here are the unclean things that we can't eat. They're very separate. This never enters into our house. We don't even dream of it. And here, this is what we can eat. This is okay. This is the right food to eat. And so now Peter is confronted with something from God that seems contrary to everything that he'd ever been taught. And so his response is, no. God says, go kill and eat. And he says, no, God. I've never, I've never eaten that stuff. I'm not going to start breaking your law now, even if you tell me to. But this doesn't happen just one time. Look at the next verse. Verse 15. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God has cleansed, that call, that call not thou common. This was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again unto heaven. So here's Peter and, and three times. Can you imagine this? Three times God speaks to him clearly and he says, no. No, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I've never done that. That's wrong. I I just can't do it. Now, now, certainly God is trying to teach him something and and the truth is, Jesus had already cleared this up for them. He'd already explained to the disciples that it's not the stuff that you put into your mouth that defiles you, but it's what comes out of you. The, The words and the actions and the thoughts and the attitudes, that's what defiles a man. And so, he, Jesus has already kind of paved the way for this lesson, but Peter's still not quite getting it. And I think that's what's amazing about this story, is that the whole time God is using such imperfect servants to accomplish his will. So verse number 17, Now while Peter doubted in, in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate, and called. And asked whether Simon, which surname was Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down. And go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. See, that that last part is really important. Because these three men show up. And they're knocking on the door. And then God appears to him again and says, Listen, I have sent these three men. So I want you to go with them, and I want you to doubt nothing. And the reason it's important is because when Peter goes down and he sees those three men, he's going to know they're Gentiles. He's going to know they're not Jews. And, and so for him to, to invite them into the house, to have them stay overnight that night, to go with them, all of that would be unheard of in his culture. And, and so now God is saying, just like I said you could kill and eat, now I say it's okay for you to go with them. Now, I'm going to try and skip over a few verses here, um, just for the sake of time. But I want you to get what the story, what's happening here in the story. And so Peter goes downstairs and he asks these men why they're here. And, and they explain that Cornelius, who's a just man, who fears God, is well-respected, um, has, warned, has been warned by God that he needs to go and find you and bring you back because you have a message for him. And so the next day, these three men with Peter head back toward Caesarea, and Cornelius is waiting there at the house for him. He's anticipating what good news God has for for them. And so what Cornelius does is he gathers all of his family and all of his friends, everybody he can get to come to his house. He sticks them all in this one big room and has them ready for this message that they're going to hear from God through Peter. And so as soon as Peter arrives... Cornelius' response is to fall down and to worship him. And when he does that, Peter stands up and says, Cornelius, what are you doing? I am just a man. You don't worship men. Good response by Peter. So now Peter goes into the room and surprise, surprise, there's an audience of people waiting to hear what he has to say. Finally, Peter speaks in verse 28. It says, He said unto unto them, You know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. See, Peter is starting to get what this whole vision was about. God has showed me. You know it's unlawful. I shouldn't have done what I did. I shouldn't have had them in my house. I shouldn't have gone with you. I shouldn't be staying at your house. I shouldn't be speaking to you like this. But God has showed me that if, if God says it's okay, it is okay. Verse 21 29. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore, for what intent have you sent me? This is really funny because they're all in this room expecting Peter to come in with this wonderful message for them to hear. So Peter stands up. In this room, speaking to all of them, and says, "So I get now that if God says that it's okay, then it's okay for me to be here so why why am I here?" I mean, why did you you call me? What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? Peter still has no idea. He's not connecting the dots, right? I mean, he should be connecting the dots because Jesus went to the Gentiles and he shared the gospel. He loved the Gentiles. In fact, after Jesus taught him the lesson about the things that defile you are the things that come out of you and not the things you put in you, after he teaches that lesson, Jesus goes to a Syrophoenician woman, to a Gentile woman, and ministers to her. So he has the example, then he's been given the command to go to every creature and preach the gospel. To go from to Jerusalem and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. He's been empowered to do this. So he should be putting the dots together, but he's not. And so what happens is Cornelius goes over, he retells the story about how the angel appeared to them. How the angel said to send for you that you have a message for us. And so he says in verse 33, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore, are we all present before God to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. God told us to send for you. And now we're all here, and we're all patiently waiting for what God would have you to tell us. No one in the room seems to know what's going on. But everyone in the room, including Peter, knew that God had brought them there together. And finally, Peter knows what it's all about. And I imagine here this room being completely silent, just waiting for Peter to speak. And I imagine Peter starting slowly as he speaks, as he works his way eventually to the gospel. Verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. See, he said the exact same thing a moment ago, but here he says of truth. I mean, I get it. God is not a respecter of persons. It's the same truth, but it seems like he just has so much more conviction here. He says, But in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. So, so God does not look at your skin. God does not look at your background. God is not looking at where you came from, how much money you have, how smart you are, how much education, color of your skin. None of those things what God is looking at. But what Peter says is that God accepts those who, who work righteousness, who try and pursue and follow him and do the right thing. This is what God is looking at and this is what God is looking for. He is looking truly at our hearts. Verse 36. The word which God has sent unto the children of Israel. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. It says there was a word that was sent to Israel. But that Jesus is Lord not just of Israel. But he is Lord of all. That word I say you know. Which was published throughout all Judea. And began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day. And showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even unto us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So what Peter does is he he just gives a very brief synopsis of Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. But he begins that synopsis by saying, You know this. This is something you've heard of before. So clearly the message of Jesus and what what at least happened to Jesus, the history had already been shared with these people. They already knew the history, right? But they didn't know what his death meant. And I'm afraid, again, that that is, what, that is a story for a lot of people. That many people know the history, but they don't know what it means. And they don't know what it means for them. And so God didn't send them just to tell them that Jesus existed and that he died on the cross. He told them, He sent Peter to tell them why he did it. And what it means for them. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. The first thing he says is, I want you to know that Jesus was ordained to be the judge. The judge of the living and the judge of the dead. There is no person in this room, there is no person that has ever lived, living or dead, they will all be judged by God. So the first thing he tells them, he speaks of his judgment. But verse 43 says, To give him, to him give all the prophets witness. So the Old Testament is speaking about this, is pointing toward Jesus, that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. Right, so now Peter is, is just into the heart of the message. That when you put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ, he will remit your sins. He will forgive your sins. He will wash you clean. This is the message. And, and so Peter is just starting into explaining what Christ's death does for us. And look what happens. Verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, in the middle of what he was saying, the Holy Ghost fell on them which was heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter... Because that of the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So while Peter's in the middle of his speech, the Holy Ghost comes down and falls on them. And they accept, they trust Christ as their Savior. It doesn't even get to the end of the sermon. Can can you imagine if we were in the middle of preaching a sermon and all of a sudden there's people who just got it and and they trusted Christ in in mid-service? How glorious would that be? And these people are so ready and willing to hear the gospel that as soon as they hear that what Christ did, he did for them to to save them from their sins, they repent and they trust him. And so in this story, I know it's a long story, But there are many applications. I'm just going to focus on a couple things, okay? So we won't be here long for the application, but I want you to really get these points. And the first one is the application for the believer. Okay, So if you're a believer here, you know Christ is your Savior. This is the part that, at least for me, this is what jumps out for me. In this story, we need to recognize that it all begins with prayer. This whole story begins with prayer, right? Cornelius is there and he's praying. He's a man of prayer and now he's praying and God... Comes to him. And then Peter goes up and he's, he's upstairs at noonday and he's praying. And that's when God appears to him and gives him the, tr- the vision. But it all begins here with prayer. And do you know what prayer does? Prayer recognizes that God is the most important person in, in, in everything that happens. Right? As soon as you bow for prayer, what you're saying is, God, my program, my words, everything that I have to do isn't enough. That, that all of this is vain and foolish without you. And as I was preparing the sermon, there were a number of times where I had to stop. i I, I got to be honest with you. Every single week that I prepare something, whether, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, I always wonder, God, I mean, how, how is it possible that I'm doing this? How is it possible that you have given me the privilege to speak your word? It doesn't make any sense at all. And so we get down and we pray. And when we pray, it says, God, I know that I'm not good enough. God, I know there's nothing in me. I need you. And that's why it starts with prayer. And maybe some of the problem is, we want to, to pick ourselves up and say, I'm going to live this Christian life. I'm going, to, I'm going to really do good. And we don't start with prayer. I'm going to try and be a testimony at my work. I'm going to try and witness to my coworkers. And we don't start with prayer. And when you think you're going to do it on your own, in your own strength, you're foolish. And what you do will be absolutely vain. There's not a good enough program there aren't good enough words that can that can break the heart of a person. You need God. You need the Holy Spirit. We all do. So it must begin with prayer. Number two, action on the part of the believer is required. What I love about this story is that to me it makes no sense. Does it doesn't make any sense that God would send an angel? The word angel means messenger, so God sends this messenger to speak to Cornelius, but rather than telling Cornelius what the gospel is, he says, you need to find this guy named Peter who lives 50 kilometers away, go send for him, so these guys have to get on their horses or get on their donkeys or whatever they did and travel the 50 kilometers, difficult trip, go find Peter talk to him, meanwhile God also has to send this vision to Peter three times, and Peter's not getting it, and then Peter has to get up and, and, and get his people together and go back. All of this has to happen. Why? So that they can hear the gospel. And yet, God just sent a messenger to speak to somebody. So, so why didn't God just have the angel tell Cornelius in his house how to be saved? Right? It doesn't make any sense. Except when you realize that God's plan is, is to work through people. God's plan isn't to send angels to share the gospel with every person in this world. God's plan is to send you and I. And even Peter here, I mean, clearly he's not perfect. Clearly he's struggling with this decision a little bit. You might even say that some of his thoughts and his attitudes are sinful at times. And yet God uses an imperfect person like Peter to share the gospel because that is his plan. And that should encourage us. It should help us to realize that, okay, yes, I'm imperfect, but this is the, the job God has given to us, so we need to go out and do it. God has sent you, and, and even in these encounters, right, for all that's happening, there's so much that happens that seems like it might be just this chance encounter. And yet we see the whole time God is orchestrating all of these events. And I think we assume that that only happens in the Bible. But it doesn't. If you've ever heard a person's testimony, listen for how God's hand was working on their life the entire time. I promise you'll find it. Think about your own testimony. I think back to mine. It's incredible how God was working through so many different avenues and so many different people so that I could eventually hear the gospel and come to him. And the whole time, I am ignorant of everything that's going on. So what God does is he he uses people who are imperfect, who, who don't have the whole plan figured out, to do what he tells them to do. But the whole thing is that action is required on the part of the believer. At some point, you need to stop just knowing you should go And actually go. At some point, you should stop just thinking you should speak up and and, and actually speak up at work or at school or with your friends or or whoever. At some point, we just need to to do what we've been called to do and not just talk about it. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? This is God's plan. To take this wonderful news of salvation and to, to speak through people who are sent by God to go to the world and share the gospel. Number three. The Spirit will do the heavy lifting. And so we must begin with prayer. And it will take some action on our part. But it's good to know that the Spirit of God will do the heavy lifting. The Spirit of God will do the work that we can't do. And and as a believer, when you're thinking about going to a lost world, who will probably hate you and scorn you at times, this is an encouraging thought, to think that, that the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts and lives of people. The Spirit had prepared that whole house to hear the gospel. right? The Spirit did all the work there. And all Peter had to do was to be simply obedient. And so it's the Spirit that does the work and not us. I think this whole chapter is a perfect example of what 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says. It says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Right. So here's an example of a fisherman who is uneducated, now going to a Roman centurion who is powerful and wealthy and taking the message of salvation. And even in this circumstance, it seems like Cornelius is acting like the better man. But Cornelius, though he's a good man from outward appearance, he needs to hear the gospel. And so God sends the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the reason that God can do that is because it's not the foolish things that do the work, it's the Holy Spirit of God. Believer, start with prayer, then do something about it, and rely on God for the results. That is the application for the believer. The application for the unbeliever. If you're here and you don't know that you know Christ is Savior, you're not saved, you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, or you don't even really know what that means, I think this is a, a, a wonderful story for you. Because here is an example of Cornelius, who is a good man. Right? And I've met a number of unsaved people who seem like very good men. His household, his city, thought very well of him. He prayed often, he fasted, he devoted himself to God. He was very generous, he so says he feared God. This is a very impressive man. And so God saw his works. But God also saw that they were not enough. There is no amount of good works that could get Cornelius into heaven. Because if there was, why send Peter? Right? If it was possible for Cornelius to be saved outside of the name of Christ, he must have already been saved. But it wasn't possible. And so for, for all of those of us who think of ourselves as, yeah, we're, we're good people. Cornelius was a good person and he needed to hear the gospel. And he needed to hear that God was the judge. He needed to hear that God is the judge of the quick and the dead. He needed to hear that someday he'll stand before him. And he needed to hear that that his good works would not be enough to save him. That he needed the forgiveness of sins that only comes by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross... So that people can know God and spend eternity with him. And if there was any other way, then Christ would not have died. So if you're here today and you don't know him as your savior, he died to pay for your sins. He died so that you can know him now and be with him for eternity. He died so that you don't have to to stand before him and give an account for all that you've done. That rather than, than, than... paying for your own sins, they're put on the cross of Christ. And that is what the whole Bible is about. That's, that's the whole storyline of the Bible. And here it's so clear in Cornelius' life, he was a good man, but he needed to know Jesus. And it was important enough to send angels and visions and people traveling 50 kilometers to go back and forth so that he can hear the words that Christ is the one who can remit, who can forgive your sins. This gospel that we have here, this story, it's a glorious story. It brings two men who are so different. Couldn't be more different. Different professions, locations, their background, their religion, everything that they grew up with was so different. And it it takes these two men and under the gospel makes them brothers in Christ. And so now Peter and Cornelius are in heaven together and they're, they're worshiping and serving God together. And that's, only, that's something that only the gospel can do. And our privilege now as believers is to share this wonderful news in the world that we've been placed. These chance encounters that we have might just be God's orchestration. It could be that God has placed you where you're at so you can be a light to the world around you. In fact, I know that's the case because that's what we're commanded to do. Hudson Taylor said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. If you know Christ, this is your privilege to share the gospel. David Livingston, missionary in India, said, sympathy is no substitute for action. We need to get past thinking good thoughts and thinking right thoughts and start doing what we've been called to do. We start with prayer, and then we act, and we do something about it. We rely on God to bring the results. Let's pray.